Welcome to the Evolution 2.0 podcast, where we explore the intersection of art, technology, business, biology, and spirituality. Here, you'll discover new trends in evolution that are changing the way we think about everything. This is your host, Perry Marshall, author of Evolution 2.0, 80-20 Sales and Marketing, and guides to Ethernet, Google, and Facebook. I'm founder of the Evolution 2.0 Prize, a quest for the missing link between earth science, the information age, and life itself. Let's join the conversation now. Welcome. And uh, I don't do these very often, but I'm doing a video Zoom call here with Jenny Davis. And Jenny Davis is a client who I met almost three years ago. I did a seminar in London and she was a participant there. I didn't really get to know her beyond that, but I met Jenny, like I said, a couple of years ago, but then Megan Macedo said, I've got somebody you might want to talk to about your cancer project. And I had a Zoom call with Jenny and I found out uh, she's uh under age 40 and she had a bout with cancer and she had told me about it. It was quite interesting. And, um, and then I did a podcast interview with her a little later and that's a a very good interview. It's called, I felt like they had poured bleach into my veins and she has since recovered from cancer and um, had even further developments. And part of her journey includes uh, a lot of introspection and some insight into why she thinks she got cancer at an early age. And I thought, what would be better than to get her with a live audience talking about her experience? And so I have her today. She is from Scotland. She has a lovely Scottish accent. And she is just going to tell her story. And um, there's going to be opportunity. you can put questions in the Q&A as we go here, and we can have a little bit of a conversation. Also, a little bit later, I'm going to be giving you guys some information that um, our organization that does cancer research is looking for a development director. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit, too. And we're asking people, who do you know? And could you put in touch with, with people like that? So Jenny from Scotland... Welcome. I'm delighted to have you here today. Thank you. Hello, every mo- hello everyone. Whether it's morning, afternoon, it's evening in, in the UK. So uh, nice to see you all. Hopefully there's some interesting stuff I've got to share with you. As Perry said, happy to do questions. Um, part of my coping mechanism when, I, when I've gone through the last two years is be really open and honest and transparent about how it's been. Um, and all the different facts and figures and emotional things. So if you if you have questions or want me to go deeper into a particular topic, then just give us a shout and I'm happy to do that. So, and Perry, feel free to jump in if you want to guide the conversation in a particular way. Yeah, and uh, the, the longest we'll go is an hour, but we'll we'll do whatever we can within an hour or less. And so Jenny, you're going along in your life and you're young and your athletics, and I, I would like you to, to tell people your athletic background, because I think that's important too. And suddenly one day in your late 30s, you find out you have cancer. So 
How did that come about? And why don't you tell, give people a little background about who you are and what, what you do and all sure. of that? Sure. Yeah. So it's probably important for everyone to know I wasn't your, your typical patient <laughs> that went through, a, went through a cancer journey in the first place. I'd probably say I was a bit of a renegade patient, which is how Perry talks about a lot of the people who are going to find the cures or find the ways to find the cancer cells even before they become at stage one. So I was a professional athlete. I was a judo athlete um, through from super young up to my early 20s. And then I did a talent transfer program within the UK to track cycling, which is cycling in circles on the velodrome, if any of you, any of you have seen that at the Olympics. So most of my life, I've done some kind of competitive sport to at world-class level. And all of the things that you need to do to be really good as an elite athlete, you know, it's not just about the training, it's it's all the foundational things that sit underneath that recovery, nutrition, mindset, psychology, supplements, all the same things that you kind of need to do proactively when you're going through a cancer journey. So I retired 2016 and kind of the last five or 10 years of my career, I ended up taking this, the principles of sport and applying them into business. So I do change and transformation consulting um, within the UK, basically where we're looking to make improvements to whatever processes or journeys that businesses have. So everything that I've done or had any success in life. So always come back to those core principles that I have taken and learned from my sport and the coaches that I, the really good coaches that I had anyway, because there's been a mixed bag. So as Perry said, I was just cracking on with life, working away. And then just before Christmas, two, almost two years ago, I had, I started to have issues going to the toilet as in I couldn't go. And my abdomen became very swollen. Up to this point, I'd never had any issues. I did the usual laxatives. I had um, an enema that paid for privately. Some of it settled for a little bit, but just after Christmas and New Year, two years ago, last January time, I um, ended up going into the hospital to get an x-ray to rule out anything sinister x-ray led to CT scan an hour or two later and then in the middle of COVID with lockdown where I had no one around me to support because you weren't allowed anybody I got told at 11 o'clock at night my bowel obstruction I had a bowel obstruction I needed emergency surgery in case my bowel burst and there was an extremely high chance that it was bowel cancer which for I think 37 Age 37 wasn't really what I was expecting. So I had an overnight stay, was first on the operating table. They performed the heart Hartman's procedure. So they removed 30 centimetres of my large intestine, some of the lymph nodes, and um, they fitted a stoma, which meant I had to wear a stoma bag to collect my waste for almost the last two years there's a third part to the story I'll cover in a second I had eight weeks after surgery basically to recover and then I had to go on to four or five months of chemo did various rounds of that 
my stretch and chemo got extended because it absolutely hammered my body and I didn't have enough levels of white blood cells and so on for me to get the next round of chemo. So, and that's for somebody who was, you know, super fit and was doing everything I could possibly to get through it. I finished the chemo last end of last summer, got my scans and things the year later, got the all clear and then went on the waiting list to have my stoma reversed, um, which happened six weeks ago. So there was, from the moment I got diagnosed, there were always going to be three parts to the story for me. Part one was the first surgery, which was major surgery with full abdomen cut. Part two was chemo. And then part three was the stoma reversal, which they were able to do keyhole through the stoma hole itself. And that's just finished, as I said, six weeks ago. So things are, plumbing's back to normal. Things are kind of settling down. Um, your bill's a bit sensitive generally, so it takes a little bit of time for that to sort itself out. Um, and it's been a, each of those three chapter, each of those three parts had one really, really dark moment in it, which I've had to work through emotionally and mentally. And as Perry said, basically from the point that I was diagnosed, I spent a massive amount of time last year working with Megan Macedo to work through some of the really deep questions and try to proactively do as much as I could to reverse that thing that happened to me and to make sure that any cells that were left were basically completely gone, including trying to work out why I got it in the first place. Um, and that reflections continued, you know, right up to today we were, I was talking out with one of my friends on our local walk today about some things that have come up since um, I've had my stoma reversal surgery. So that's kind of the high level stuff in a nutshell all through lockdown and in the UK I didn't see my family because they were in a different region and lockdown meant we couldn't cross borders and stuff so wow wow so um cancer surgery in lockdown in COVID in isolation wow that's not a fun year no wow. and because I came from two sports where there's a lot of athletes, there's a big community base and there's a, it's not just athletes, it's your support, um, your support staff, physios, coaches, strength, conditioning, nutritionists. So I'm used to coming into worlds where there's a performance requirement with community behind me and the community that I had behind me during that time were all like, 70 plus I think that was the average age of the people that I was in the wards with and I actually believe it or not almost two years later I met my first person who was like me who had a diagnosis in her 30s I just met her last week she's the wow. first person I've spoken to who had the same diagnosis as me with the same stoma and stoma reversal our paths crossed four weeks after my reversal surgery. So she's the first person I've ever met that was even under 50. Wow. So what was chemo like? And, and 
what did you think about the solutions that they had on hand for you? Tell us more of that story. So the surgical cutout made sense and I would have wanted that anyway because it's the quickest way to get it out your body when it's a big when it's a big lump like it was. Um, but the surgery took eight weeks to recover from and it was a massive shock on the body. Um, the chemo, so we went and had the consultation about what chemo I would need to get and what the side effects were. And, you know, you got to sign your life away so that you know what you're signing up for. And I remember sitting in front of my chemo doctor and asking what what's the alternative if I don't do chemo what's the other options and he looked at me like I had three heads like what do you mean you don't want to do chemo and I was like well I'm a fit person it's poison you know what what's the other alternatives and there basically was none other than don't do it so I was given do chemo do nothing or do your own thing and it was there were options for me to do lots of homeopathic and alternative treatments and I spoke to some people that I trusted about those but it was really difficult to have a conversation with my family about not doing chemo because there was no science that was there is science, but it's not out there in the public and well known for people who don't know about it to trust it. So when I had the conversations with my parents and my sisters and my partner about the potential other options, they were they were in disbelief that I would choose not to do it in the first place. So I kind of felt like I was backed into a corner. I did the chemo because I felt pressured to do it and because... I felt like there was no alternative and the chemo was by a country mile the worst thing that's ever happened to me. When you said earlier it was like pouring bleach into my veins, that is basically what the line is like. I would dread, I would always do chemo on a mon- my chemo IV on a Monday and I would wake up on Sunday morning sick to my stomach because I knew what was coming. I ended up having to try and do a bunch of fun stuff on the Sunday just to mentally distract myself from what I was going to have to go through. And the chemo, you know, I never had any issues with the needles or them putting stuff in. It was always about 90 minutes after this, the drip and stuff had started that, that was the poison starting to take effect. And I mean, I had 30 plus side effects across my summer last year, um, ranging from the normal stuff, um, headaches, like pins and needles in my arms. Actually, some of my veins and the hands where they put the IV in were, got burnt and continued to look burnt for about 12 months afterwards. I couldn't drink cold liquids for a few days. Um, I had hair thinning. I had brain fog. When I cried, it hurt my eyes because I had like um, muscle facial cramp because I don't know if there's like an imbalance in minerals when you get that. So there were just, you know, toilet things going on as well. The whole experience was 
horrific and just one that I would never wish on my worst enemy. And actually, the last time we did the interview, Perry, you asked me a question which, like, just cut me dead, was what would you say if your sister was in the same position that you were in? And the truth is I would tell her to do what I did, even though it was horrific and I, and I felt like I had no choice. Telling somebody to do that was just, I can't believe in this day and age after the decades of research and money that's been pumped into it, that there are people who have to go through that treatment for years. It's just wrong, which is why many people choose not to do it and have better quality of life, but have a shorter life. There has to be a different way, in my opinion, based on personal experience. And I say that as a fit, healthy, proactive person who lost, I've lost count of the other things that I did on top of chemo to help me cope. And I don't have any side effects now from the chemo because as soon as that finished, I did like a four to six week detox to get all that crap out of my body and to help me move forward mentally, emotionally and spiritually. But there are millions of people out there that aren't like me who will suffer much longer because they either don't have a similar body or they're much older or they don't have the mindset to tackle it in the way that I did which was a mix of proactively fighting it and a mix and the rest was surrendering to it and letting my body do what it had to do. As an athlete, you have an acute awareness of your body. I remember one time talking to a dancer who knew she was pregnant just from her body balance before there was any other indication that she was pregnant. I would think that you're kind of like that. Can you talk about what it's like to be an, an athlete and the heightened awareness of your body and then move into bringing that awareness into a chemotherapy regimen? Sure. So, I mean, there's some examples. So, obviously, I'm a female, so I have a monthly cycle. There's one there's one like 12 hour point in that 28 cycle where your egg gets released. I know when that's happened, that's deep internal, but I know because of the other things that are happening in my body. Um, you, you know, there's, so I, when I had my reversal surgery, when I woke up, I had pain through in between all my ribs and, um, right from the top of my ribs down to where the stoma hole used to be, where they mostly closed it. And it felt like I'd done a, a really, really hard ab session. And um, it felt more than just like surgery trauma. And I've got a good friend who's a, a general surgeon who does colorectal surgery. So I asked her what happened in surgery because I know you did something like, to expand that area and she said 
you know, when they when they do that surgery to reverse stomas, they pump your bowel full of air and all your muscles are contracted, which is pushing, which pushes everything out. And because you're in that position for two or three hours, your muscles are really sore. But they don't wow. tell you that. It wasn't until after when I woke up and I felt like I'd done 10 rounds with Mike Tyson in the body that I, I knew something something had happened that was probably normal enough to ask her who then told me more about what they physically do in the surgical room. So that's a few small examples of as an athlete, you have to be able to listen to your body and listen to your emotions to know where something's not right so that you can act fast if something's not quite right or balanced in the body in terms of nutrients. That's another one. If I'm low in minerals, which I occasionally am because I fast quite a lot, and that's one of the things that can be reduced. If I'm low in nutrients, I get a tiny pulse in my eyelid. That's my warning signal that I need to take my um, my like element minerals drink with water. So it's just having an awareness of all the things that are going on in the body, which may be physical or cellular, or it might be the mind is having an impact on the body. And you have to use that as an elite athlete to know when to push, when to recover, when to make changes for improvement. And from a, a chemo perspective, that awareness probably didn't help. Yeah. Because you're just shooting poison into your veins. And actually, I stupidly asked my chemo doctor before all this started and we were doing the chat through I stupidly said, oh, what kind of people cope well with chemo to see if I could position myself before, you know, I get, and he's like, you really don't want to hear this, but it's people who are really, really unhealthy, who are used to, their bodies are used to pouring toxins in. The body's used to getting rid of those toxins all the time. So people who are really unhealthy, who smoke, who drink like a fish, who eat like a pig, who probably take drugs, actually typically cope better with chemo. And people who are fat don't because their body's not used to poison. And I was like, "Mm, well, we'll see. I had one round and within two days, I was like, he's right. Wow. Okay, that's almost a mic drop moment right there. Wow, I, um, I that makes perfect sense now that you say it. It's never occurred to me. I've never heard that before. Wow. Um, well, I guess if you just ate donuts for your whole life and... <laughs> your journey, your recovery journey is much shorter if you're super fit and healthy. Yeah, right. It's just okay. in the moment you suffer. Well... You know that might that's that was my experience. In the moment, I suffered more, but I, I was done. Like as soon as that chemo was done, ten days later, I was on the road to recovery because I was tracking stats. I want to go back to what you said. You said if your sister had the same cancer, you would say, "Yeah, I think you need to do this." Did I hear you correctly? Yeah. Or- T- to be honest, I, I don't even know. 
I would tell her that I believe if she did, if she had had the surgery and did everything else, that I think everything else would be enough. Okay. Um, but it would be difficult for me to show the factual evidence and the science behind it that was publicly accepted. And then I'd have to leave it to her to make a decision. But she would probably be in the same position I was where all the people around her who love her just want it out or system. And, oh, it's only three months or it's only four months or six months, Lorna or Kirsty or Jenny. So just do it and you'll it'll be over before you know it. That does bring us to when people get a diagnosis, they really have either you go down a certain road of chemo, which is going to be miserable, and it might work. And in your case, it looks like it did. And that's good. And, And we certainly can't discount that. Or the other road is you roll the dice with the myriad of alternative opportunities that are available, which, you know, one of the things about the world that I inhabit, which I guess you could describe, you know, all of the entrepreneurs and the business owners, and it's pretty much by definition, the not Walmart, not big box world. It's not the big corporate. It's all of the other stuff. And so those people inherently know lots of interesting things, try lots of interesting things. And I routinely hear stories from people who did alternative treatments and they worked. I went to Mexico. I went to Germany. I went, I I did, uh, you know, some kind of juice fast. I did this, I did that. And it actually worked. And I've, I've heard too many of those stories to think that that stuff can't work. I'm sure that it can. But you're rolling the dice where it's very, very anecdotal. Your insurance doesn't pay for it. And a whole bunch of people are going to look at you like you got three heads. Yeah. Is that a fair? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Wow. So you, in your case, you endured all this chemo for what, three, four, six months? Uh, Yeah. So I think it was supposed to be 12 weeks and I think it ended up being 18 because of the delays between treatment because my bloods weren't high enough to be able to let me do the next round. And, And in fact, the... The first two rounds of chemo were so harsh, they ended up having to reduce my chemo levels by 25%. And I th- I think the reason that it was done wrong in the first place was because I'm an athlete with a certain weight, but my weight is made up of more muscle than fat. And I was much leaner than most of the patients there, but I was heavier because of my muscle mass. So I think they didn't take that into account when they did, you know, the drug levels. And it wasn't until I had, in the UK, we have a charity called Maggie's, which you get somebody from the Maggie's charity to um, 
that's assigned to you when you get diagnosed with cancer to support you through the sort of psychological preparation and support you through it. And so I was just soldiering on with my chemo, I think partly. I'd just finished round two and the first week after was horrible. And my Maggie's person, Ali, phoned me on like day five after round two and she's like oh just phoning to see how you were and I just cried down the phone because she caught me at right at the low point and she invited me in to go and see her and I'm sure you'll get the impression like I'm not somebody who cries like I'm I'm not one of these precious princess like cries at every <laughs> you know I'm a People would say I'm one of the most resilient people that they know. And I'm not saying like I don't cry. I do. Um, and it's healthy to do that. But like I barely cried because I just was in shock for this whole experience and was in like, just do it. Just get this shit done, basically. And she caught me and I was crying down the phone. She invited me in. We had a chat and she said, your chemo dose is too high. So I'm like thinking, oh, she'll get it reduced 25%. They had to reduce it by. Wow. So this eventually led you to asking, why did I get cancer of all things? I, yeah. I'm nutrition, I run, I exercise, I'm in tune with my body. That led you in a whole direction. Can you tell us that story? Sure. So I had, I was a fan, I'm a big fan of Dr. Raza, who wrote the first Cell book, which I found out from your work. So I read her book and some of your summaries about the first cell is just a normal cell that becomes stressed and grows, becomes a large cell or giant cell. And if it stays in that state long enough, the cell turns cancerous and then it has little babies and then they go and spread. So yeah. I'd, yeah. I had read Dr. Raza's book while I was mulling over what just went wrong because I know it's not genetic because I've just been tested and all the other typical symptoms and re reasons why people might have that diagnosis didn't fit my um, description. So with the help of understanding that and thinking about stress holistically. And I'd read another book called Anatomy of the Spirit, which talked about the holistic stress that people go through and about if you have particular physical, emotional, mental stresses at certain points and certain topics, it can manifest itself in different parts of the body. And, um, I knew I had cancer at least 12 months before my diagnosis because I had one tiny, tiny sign in my body, which at the time that I felt I thought was due to pregnancy because I was pregnant the year before um, I was diagnosed. So I had to put this little side thing down to pregnancy and changes in hormones. So... The, uh, so I knew I had it 12 months before, bad enough to cause some discomfort, which meant it was probably there before that, at least a year, based on wow. this surge the surgeon's chat. 
So I'm like doing a timeline back what was happening in my life, what holistic stress was happening. And the role that I was playing at work at the time, I had a really difficult team that it was an old boys club. I'm a very creative individual, renegade in other parts of my life, not just sport or being a patient. Completely big on the fastest way to innovate is to take ideas from one place and apply them. So Perry, I'm a big, like you, interdisciplinary, love to bring stuff in from other worlds. And I was trying to do that and trying to be creative in the position that I held. And I was blocked, massively blocked. And at the point that 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 went on for between six and 12 months. And at the point this was happening. So to me, that was the base. That was like the first stressor to enlarge the first cell. But at the same time that was happening, I was traveling a lot for work. So my sleep pattern recovery was out of whack. I wasn't eating the same nutritional foods that I normally would because I was traveling a lot. I wasn't training the same because I was traveling a lot. And the 12 months before diagnosis, I suffered two miscarriages at 12 weeks, which was a massive emotional trauma that caused a huge amount of internal stress emotionally the 12 months before diagnosis. So I think I had one core reason, but a lack of sleep, nutrition, exercise, and emotional trauma created like the perfect storm for that large cell to convert and then multiply massively the year before my diagnosis because of the emotional stress that I went through losing two babies. So it was all stress, but of different types that just... Ha- all happened in the same 24 months and I think one of the reasons I'm confident that the cancer is gone and will not return is because I've learned that lesson and made adaptions in my life that mean that holistic stress will never ever happen again and that I always have space for recovery to listen to my body, to be creative, to surround myself with community who value that and everything else in between. What would you say to a person who says, well, gee, uh, I got a bad boss and I didn't have a miscarriage, but I had this other problem and I didn't, you know, and I had this other problem and I, I don't know how I would prevent those things from happening isn't like, what are we even supposed to do about Like, how would you suggest that a person approach the stresses in their life? If I knew what I knew now, and I went back two years, I would have left that job and that boss. There's always a choice. I chose to, to suffer to try and progress in my career. And I chose to travel every two and a half weeks from one end of the country to the other. I chose to get up at on a Tuesday morning at four o'clock in the morning so I could be in the office right in the south of England for 10 a.m. I chose to work long days 
and to get the last flight home on the Thursday, I chose to eat to, to eat in the hotels because I was knackered and I couldn't train because I was too tired. And the only thing I didn't have choice over was the two miscarriages, which we dealt with as best as we could. Um, it just so happened. I, I think that was what caused the tumour to grow quickly, but the tumour was already there. Wow. And actually, the girl that I met a few weeks ago who went through the same thing as me, who was, on, who was under 30 at her time of diagnosis, we were chatting about trauma after cancer and about these questions that a lot of people are left with. And I'd said, you know, I've not, I don't have any of those big things because I worked through it a lot last year and I'm confident and blah, blah, blah. And she said, oh, why do you think you got cancer? And I told her, because she was perplexed about hers. And when I told her, she just went silent. Mm-hmm. And her story, although she didn't have the child loss, her story about being in a really, really stressful, non-supportive um, environment in the work that she was in, which is where you spend most of your she had a similar situation different circumstances I don't think it was her boss I think it was a a wider community thing but she was miserable in her job she had had deaths in her family not children but other stressful events and she mentioned a few other things and we left our conversation like she obviously needed to go away and process what we just talked about. Now, her cancer and my cancer were similar. So I wouldn't be surprised if the stories around them, if it's not genetic, which is less than 5% for bowel cancer. I'm not surprised when I said my theory of why I think I have it, which feels right in the gut. And that's not a pun. Like, Yeah. That right. feels right to me. If uh-huh. if some if a hundred people said I was wrong, I'd still say that my head and my heart and my gut is telling me that's mm-hmm. these are the reasons why. So when she she left, like she's just had an epiphany and she needs time to go and think about it. So her story was similar to my own diagnosis, and I reckon probably similar in terms of creative block a creative block, which in anatomy of the spirit, any bowel problems, one of the reasons they talk about is creative blockage. So Mm -hmm. Megan and I talk quite often because we're both Celts and we have a sick sense of humour, but we talk about, oh, it's funny you were blocked physically because you had a creative block (laughs) that was there for a long time. Other cancers or other, maybe not cancers, but other illnesses might manifest themselves in different ways. But ultimately, it always, to me, comes back to the same principles of one cell becomes stressed for a core reason. And if it stays stressed, either because the core reason is strong enough or there's other factors that also heighten the stress, that large cell will turn. 
And then it's down to what else is happening in your life, how quickly that takes hold and how quickly it spreads. My dad got cancer at age 41 after two years of mental illness with my mom and nine months of in an absolutely toxic environment with his work who were upset at us because he took her to a psychiatrist and a lot of you have heard that story and I've, I've had quite a few other people say to me yeah I know why I got cancer and it often has to, something to do with not getting out of a toxic environment so how do you, you've had a reset button about how you approach stress in your life going forward. Can you explain how you've come to think and act about stress today? Yeah, so I had, I think I ended up about the time just after I got diagnosed, I had shifted roles from that toxic environment so I was I actually made the right decision I just left it too late but even the role that I was in there still wasn't enough balance so I I ended up shifting again and I'm at an income level where I can be picky and choosy based on how I feel the relationship is with whoever's paying me and um, the team that supports the work that I'm going to be doing. So I'm really, really picky about who I choose to work with, um, who I choose to surround myself with in terms of family and friends and new friends and experts who might may be able to, to support me with guidance where I need to. Um, and then I just became experimented and became hyper aware of the different holistic strategies that I can use that helps me maintain that balance and helps my body do what it needs to do in terms of removing toxins. So the number one thing, I know we, I said this to some of your group members when I was in Dublin, Perry with you earlier in the years, my number one anti-cancer tactic now is fasting. Because what once your body gets past a set amount of time where it's fasting, um, autophagy hits kicks in, and autophagy is where the cells that are broken or not functioning or are potentially damaged, your body cr- collects all of those. It either fixes them or it bends them, and it either's um, deposits you out your breath or through your skin or through your bowels. So um, I do, I I vary the types of fasts that I do. I I track my sleep stats now quite closely, not obsessively, like I don't get stressed about it if things aren't quite there. It's just an indicator for me that if something's not quite, the trend isn't going in the direction, I know I need to make some tweaks. So there's a few little um, indicators for me, sleep stats. I still train almost almost every day, four or five days 
you know, middle to high intensity, like, like an athlete, I still label myself as an athlete. It's part of my identity. And the, the other two days I just do lots of walking, yoga. Um, I have to leave space to listen. I have to leave head space and space for my body to be rested so I can actually listen. Yeah, health KPIs, yeah, Kelly. Um, so, Perry, you talk about memos from the head office and leaving space to do that. Well, my memos are from the head office, but they're also my body memos. Yes, 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 yes. If you're too, if you're tired, I, I can't. I don't hear them. So when I'm knackered and I'm not getting any memos, I know I've pushed too hard, or I'm in a state of stress, and I know that I have to change, make a change somewhere. My that's friend, good, that's a good line. I just said, like the hit the memos thing. It's the head office, but it's the Jenny memos body stuff too. I never really thought about it like that. <laughs> well, in the memos book, I say, people ask, well, well, um, okay, if 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 I'm praying, and how do I know I'm not just hearing myself? How do I tell if I'm, you know, it's the head office or just me? And I said, well, at first it doesn't even matter because if you can't listen to yourself, you're not going to hear anything else. Like you just start by listening. And Vivian, uh, my dear friend who uh, I talk about a lot, she says, rest is a hearing aid. That's like her favorite mm-hmm. saying. Um, if you're rested uh, and you get enough sleep, you can get the memos. You can hear your body. You can tell if you get all twisted up. Um, and I, I did a podcast with Eric Kulker. It's really interesting. He's a psychologist. He's one of the researchers that we are funding. He and Kimberly Bussey are researching the relationship between the stress hormone cortisol and cancer. And Eric talks in that podcast interview, everybody should listen to this interview, um, that there is already an extensive body of psychological literature that shows that if you have adverse childhood events, if you have stress, if you have trauma, and you go sit down with a counselor or a friend and talk about it, it helps get it out of your system and it lowers the incidence of cancer. This is like this is studied and documented. It's it's not mysterious. It's true. So, and then you're talking about fasting. So intermittent fasting, basically, is that, yeah. do I understand? Yeah. And then that cleanses your system. We are, we're, we're involved in three projects. We're involved with Azra Raza's work and she's, figuring out how to detect cancer at stage negative one. We're doing work with Eric Kulker, who I just told you about, the psychologist, and they're studying the relationship between stress and cancer. And some of this research, I can't believe hasn't already been done, but it hasn't. And Kim is brilliant. And then Michael Levin is literally reversing cancer at will in animals. And, um, 
we need a development director to help us uh, raise more money. And I, I am asking everybody who's on the call, who do you know? Can you introduce them to us? Do you know somebody with that skill set? And I've put, um, I've put in the chat, uh, you can email us, you can text or call John Corral, our CEO. We're looking for somebody who would like a position, a full-time position, raising money uh, for what we do. Um, and so, Jenny, can you kind of bring us up to the present? So you introspected, you, you figured out where this probably came from. You went through the chemo and you had that whole story. And then you've adjusted your whole outlook going forward. So where has this brought you in the present? And also we got time for maybe a question or two. If you've got a question, you can type a question in the chat. We're going to end right at the top of the hour, but bring us up to the present. What's, where are you now? So from a medical standpoint, I'm cancer free. I had my stoma reversed six weeks ago. I just had a chat with Megan a couple, was it less than a week ago about this chapter of my life is closing um, and I was feeling a need to do some kind of ritual closing of the chapter. So I'm trying to figure out what a funeral of the cancer for me might look like that's, that's um, true and unique to me and is what I need to do as a person to let go of that. I do have some PTSD because I've, I've had two mild panic attacks this year that was triggered because of something that came up to do with um, cancer treatment or one of them was somebody was wearing a nose cannula that I saw and I, I was triggered in the moment so I'm having to do um, a bit of counselling and doing some breath work to help release some of that trauma basically so that hopefully I'm triggered less in the future that was unexpected. You know, I thought I did all the deep work. I didn't think I'd anything left, but there obviously is some things. So I'm working through that. Um, I'm aiming to finish this year, close the chapter off nicely. I'll run through my typical yearly tests just to make sure there's nothing there. I'm not really that bothered because I'm confident it's all gone um, and I've dealt with the root cause. So the focus for me is moving forward and looking to the future and really leaning into the, the work that I've done with Megan on what's important to me, what, what am I here to do as a person. Community is important, but it's got to be the right community. I was in the wrong community and suffered for it because I didn't choose to leave early enough. And I've got some new business opportunities and joint ventures I'm going to be focusing on next year with people which are much closer to me in terms of all the things that are important that will allow me to explore more of who I am as a person and find other people like me who are also looking to do the same. So that sounds a bit vague, but kind of this year's close out the chapter, say goodbye in whatever ritual I decide I want to do and then um, start building a new future that's much, much closer to me as a person with the people that 
will help me grow rather than destroy some of me at a cellular level. Could you give whatever advice that you might have for a person who's like, oh yeah, well, you know, this last couple of years have been pretty stressful for me. And why, I don't know. I, I like my back's up against the wall. I, I don't know what to do. What, what would you say to that person? Um, I would say for the most part, you always have a choice and you, if you stay in a stressful state, that's your choice to stay there. And your health is a ticking time bomb if you're not, if you don't look after it. So you have a proactive choice that you can make now to try and, you, do, you know, it doesn't need to be big things to start with. A job change can be quite significant, but you might, you don't, maybe don't need to change company, it might just be an internal move sideways. So I think people have to be honest with themselves, um, leave space so they can actually think and listen and understand that they always have a choice. Like I have, I have friends who are miserable and I've told them because I knew they would hear the message, but I told them they're choosing to stay. Yeah. There's always a choice. And if you choose to ignore this, the signs, you'll suffer. 10 times worse than you're suffering just now. I can absolutely assure everyone that human beings engage in self-destructive behavior. <laughs> okay. Anybody that knows anybody that drinks too much knows that. And just like some people drink too, too much, some people keep themselves in work situations, business situations, bosses, marriages, whatever, that are not good for anybody. So we do have choices. So Jenny, thank you so much. I, I just really feel like this was amazing and transparent. I, I appreciate you being a little bit vulnerable. And thank you, everybody, for listening. I think everyone listened very intently, and it's a gift. So appreciate it. Lots of uh, love in the chat box that you can see there. So thank you, everybody. Take thank care. You. Bye for now. Until next time, this is the Evolution 2.0 podcast, bridging science, technology, business, and the big questions. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes or on your preferred player. If you like the show, rate us on iTunes. Join our email list and social media at CosmicFingerprints.com. Fingerprints.com.